Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome, everybody, to the FTCA podcast. This is episode number three. I'm your host, uh, Dr. Bobby Maybe. My guest today is Dr. Greg Friedman. He is the expert, the guru, the monster at documentation and everything you need to know about documentation. He's the king. Um, but I, I didn't want you, I didn't want to bring you on here today just because of that, even though that's a very important subject. I wanted to bring you on because I think you're also very enigmatic. As a, as a chiropractor, and I think you have a lot to say based on experience, based on your family's experience, uh, based on all the things you have to say, which are a lot of good things. So um, don't think I just brought you on just to talk documentation, even okay. though that's awesome. Also, Bobby, if you don't mind, I've been working on an interpretive dance uh, with regards to documentation, and I'd like, <laughs> like to do that today. Well, I think water is already taken, so <laughs> you need to do air, fire, or earth, right? I, I have it all. I have it all. <laughs> uh, some people get that inside joke. If you don't get some of our inside jokes that we run today, you might want to join a Facebook group called the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Um, it is a group that I started a couple years ago, three, almost four years ago, uh, mo mostly for friends who were progressive chiropractors, evidence-based chiropractors, who found that on social media there was no escape from the sort of uh, looniness that you tend to find in the chiropractic world. Um, so we, we joined that place as a, as a sounding board to discuss evidence-based chiropractic and research and rehab and all these other fun things. It's blossomed, I guess is the word from there. Like uh, a flower. Like a flower or, uh, yeah, <laughs> or like a virus. Um, uh, I, I think, think there's now... Flowers a, better. Flowers yeah, better. yeah, there's 4,500 or so mem members as we speak right now. And uh, it gets pretty crazy in there. If you do join, uh, and not everybody gets in, by the way, but if you do get in, um, hang out there for a bit. Check it out. Uh, there's a lot of good information, but there's also a lot of goofery going on, too. So it's entertaining and informative at the same time. That group itself has now, they, they've demanded, they made me do it. They forced me to put together a, a conference, an annual conference, the Forward KC conference is what we're doing. We're doing it June 1st through 3rd in Kansas City at Cleveland Chiropractic College. The Cleveland folks have been uber generous uh, and the students there have been super studly in uh, organizing and allowing us to use their space uh, for a conference three days, June 1st through 3rd. Uh, we're going to have hundreds of people there. We're going to have do a dozen plus speakers uh, talking on various, we might have two dozen speakers talking on various topics around evidence-based medicine. Ooh, evidence-based medicine. I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Evidence-based <laughs> chiropractic. Um, and one of those speakers who is going to be talking about documentation and making documentation your boss is this guy right here, Greg Friedman. Actually, it's making documentation your bitch. That's a different, different, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, right. well, we'll have to. Uh, <laughs> right, <guess>. <laughs> we're going to have a, we're going to have one program for the, the inside <laughs> folks and one for the, for the public. Okay. I don't right. want to scare anybody away. Let's do this, man. Let's do this. Um, you, you're from a family of chiropractors, yeah? 
Um, well, just my father and I. So my father practiced for more than 60 years. Jesus. And uh, I've, been, I've been practicing for, um, I think I'm in my 31st year now. So I'm going to go till we hit 100 then. <laughs> yeah, right? Combined? Yeah. <laughs> did he did he know BJ Palmer? <laughs> <laughs> he was one. He was uh, BJ Palmer's instructor. No, he he graduated in 1953. Okay, BJ Palmer was still alive. He was still alive. Yeah. Um, what did your What did your dad bring to the table for you? What made What made it uh, a thing that you said I want to do this too? So uh, literally, I've been saying since I'm five years old that I was going to be a chiropractor. I know it's hard to believe, but since I'm five years old, and it, you know, back then it was mainly because it was my dad. And I, I mean, honestly, that's why we, we kind of joke about this in, in the group about, you know, tours and non-tours. And all. I'm like, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a tour from the, the get-go like that. Right. Um, my whole life. My entire life has been in and around chiropractic. In fact, to this day, if anybody in my, I mean, I, I rarely, if ever, get sick, even have a cold or anything. But if anybody in my family is either has pain or or is sick or a stomach, whatever, whatever, our first go-to thing that we do is is get an adjustment. That's just kind of how we roll with that. And that's not to say that. You know, I, I wouldn't take somebody to a medical doctor. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that's just our go-to for that. So it, my whole life has been that. Now, it wasn't until, uh, let's see, high school, between my junior and senior year, I, I wavered just a bit. I thought to myself, okay, am I saying that I want to be a chiropractor just because of my dad? Or, I mean, I need to make a decision for myself. And, you know, I was one of those kids that I always did really, really well academically. So that was not an issue. So I, I could do whatever I wanted. So I figured, all right, I need to figure this out for myself. So I'll never forget, I had an English class and we had to do a comparative essay. We had to pick two or more topics and compare them. And that was going to be our essay. So I decided to compare, I, I, to compare career choices. Now, back then, I narrowed my choices down to law, medicine, and chiropractic. Those are my my three things. Now, <laughs> I decided then, and we're talking, this was in the late 70s, that there were already too many lawyers in the world. So, oh, Jesus. Imagine. so I eliminated <laughs> law, law from the equation. So then I narrowed it down to medicine versus chiropractic. And I wanted to do uh, a little research on that and doing it as, as unbiased as possible. And then I was going to help me decide what, what I was going to do for my career. What's funny is I actually still have this essay. It was like a 10-page essay. I still have it somewhere. I saw it a few years ago and I just cracked up. So here's what I found, Bobby. This is just hilarious. I, I mean, I went through medical journals and books and all this kind of stuff, chiropractic stuff. And then the greatest part was I interviewed medical doctors and I interviewed chiropractors. And that was fascinating. So remember, this was back in the late 70s. This was well before managed care. Okay. So when I interviewed the medical doctors, they were so depressed and so burnt out. Like almost every one of them said, oh, Greg, let me tell you something. Uh, yeah, we make good money, but shit, there's better ways to make money. We're always on call. People call us for the stupidest reasons. We really can't take a vacation very much. It's just it interferes with our family life. They, they, it, it sucked. The whole quality sucked for them, and I was really stunned by that. Right. And then – when I, when I interviewed the chiropractors, it was like it was like interviewing a room full of surfers. It became like, dude, <laughs> this is so fucking awesome. I'm sorry about that. 
Yeah, fuck it. It was just so fucking awesome. This is like the best thing ever. And it was like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, we're on call and stuff, but you know, I get calls like three times every two years, and people, <laughs> you know, people are nice and they're great and they pay us for this shit. And our patients are friends, and this is awesome. And, and I mean, it's really a whole mind blowing experience. And these chiropractors were totally in love with what they did. And I was like, wow, that's. I mean, how awesome is that? So that got me to think, and I eliminated medicine. And I went and I decided to go to chiropractic. And I'll, I'll never forget, the uh, I, I was interviewing at chiropractic colleges and I had one interview at LACC, which is where I ended up going. And, you know, I got there kind of cocky, I'll admit. I was kind of cocky. Yeah. And, and the guy, one of the guys interviewed me who was a student said, all right, Greg, are you just doing this because your daddy's a chiropractor? I'm like, no. And so I told them that story. And then they're like, well, do you think you can handle it? I'm like, handle what? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, our course load. I'm like, fuck. That. I said, are you kidding me? The course load, I said, look, I've got, I'm at Arizona State University, and I was majoring, I was a, a business major, also pre-med. One of the first in the country to do that, by the way. Business pre-med. And I said, my grade, I was on a four-year academic scholarship, and my grade point average was really, really high. I said, this Come on, don't insult me. And I said, <laughs> I'm such a dick. I'm like, don't insult me. I said, I'm taking an average of 18 hours a semester. And the guy laughed and he goes, well, your first year in chiropractic college, you'll be taking 35 hours in a semester. And I, just, I remember just looking at him and I thought, yeah, but you count them differently. Right. <laughs> and he goes, no, not really. You're, you're pretty much in class from seven in the morning until five at night. And then you go to the library. Then you're in the cadaver lab. And I thought to myself, holy shit. Is that right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I got this, no problem. But it, it, it kind of surprised me. But that's kind of, that's kind of where I started. Um, how did passion for documentation come into play? Where did that come from? Oh my gosh! Okay, could I? Because that's a I rare have, one, right? That's yeah, not. Could I have found the worst possible subject? Like, yeah. That, <laughs> so what happened was back in the '90s. Um, I started, I started doing stuff. I started in my, in my exams, started measuring stuff just cause I, st I started hearing some stuff and I started getting, getting interested in that. And then I had an experience where, uh, I had a PI case, personal injury. And back in those days, no one ever asked us for anything. We would send a bill in and it would get paid. The whole thing would get paid. No records, no nothing. And I got a request for records one time and I'm like, What? So I, I, I'm like, I, I need to figure this whole thing out. So I started researching documentation and I, and I needed to find the common denominator. And I quickly realized that if I found a way to document from a chiropractic methodology, it is destined to fail because there was and still remains an inherent bias against chiropractic. In, what? Yeah, right. I used to call it the insurance industry, but now I call it the healthcare universe. There, we've always suspected it, but they readily admitted it to me. And I figured, okay, if this is going to work, then I need to figure out a way to do this, but from the medical model. In other words, using stuff that's accepted from their side that we could use to help support what we do as chiropractors. And I spent about three years looking looking for it, researching it. And I, and I really spent a lot of time with this. I went to medical seminars, chiropractic seminars. I read medical books, uh, medical journals, chiropractic stuff. I talked to hospital people medical office administrators, chiropractic people. And, I, and, and then I realized after three years, there's a common theme here. And 
And I use, and back then it was just for me. It was just for my information. And then I started examining these patients differently based on this information. And it made a huge difference on my PI patients. It made a huge difference. And, and then I thought, well, I wonder what would happen if I did the same stuff on my non-PI patients, my cash patients, my insurance patients, Medicare, whatever. Well, I found it made a huge difference in that too. Now, when I say make it a difference, I don't mean a subjective difference. I mean, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I'm all about metrics. I want to measure shit. I want to measure shit all the time um, because I don't care what you say. Show me the numbers. That's just kind of how I am with that. So I wanted to find things that I could measure that I could see if those measurements are changing or not. Now, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a blood test that showed that elusive subluxation? Oh my gosh, that's like my fantasy. Wouldn't it be great? Oh yeah, I could, sure. I could do a report of findings. The patient say, let's so, okay, so you're having these issues. You know what? Let's do some blood tests. Here's a report of findings. Oh, look, here's what the blood test show us. You've got subluxations at C4, T2, and L1. So I'm going to adjust you and I'm going to adjust these subluxations. And then after a period of time, we're going to redo those blood tests and see if it changed and if it's normal or not. That would be it's like a fantasy of mine. And, uh, but we don't have that. So I had to find other things that we can measure that are somehow, some way related to what the hell we're doing. And those are the metrics that I use. And then I, just, and then I started doing it. And I'm like, this really makes a huge difference for me. And then I was, I was asked by... Or no, I, I was I bought some equipment to measure stuff by a guy who was up in Seattle at the time. And I never met this guy before. Again, this is back in the 90s. And I bought this stuff from him. But we, we kind of became friendly over time. And I, I called him. I'm like, dude, you got you to gotta see this. I said, this is, I'm using your stuff and I'm doing this. And this is what I'm finding. This is really mind-blowing. And he goes, wow, that is. And he goes, do you mind if I share that story with others? I'm like, yeah, have at it. So... My story went kind of viral until it got to Greg Stanley. Do you remember Greg? I don't know if you were out back then. Greg Stanley had Whitehall Management. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. and, he, and he consulted with chiropractors and dentists, of all things, mainly for financial stuff. Well, Greg Stanley had a subscription service where he would interview people, record it, and then he would put the interview on a cassette tape. And then all, all those that were paying for the subscription, he would mail them a cassette tape. And then, uh, so it got for my you story out there, a cassette yeah. tape, like a, a thing you put into a, right. a machine. A plastic thing. And then it evolved to a CD, which is that round metal thing, which is also obsolete now. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he interviewed me and I shared my story with that. And that's how my story went viral back in the, in the late nineties with that. So then it just kind of, so this guy, so then the guy who like, was using his equipment, he said, man, that, that's really awesome. We, so Somebody, some management group started, went to Seattle and they were trying to teach chiropractor stuff. And they like to have, they did consulting. They like to have somebody in the audience um, give a testimonial for their consulting services, but they'd never been to Seattle before, but they, they heard my story and they knew that I do, a, I did a lot of the stuff that they talked about. So they asked me if I would come, which I did. And then they said, would you, even though you've never used our services, would you at least talk for five or 10 minutes on what you do and how it's made a difference in your practice. I'm like, yeah, that's really be fine. So wait, how long do you want me to talk? They said, you know, like five minutes or so. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. So yeah. I go there. I go there. They've got a room of about 80 people or so, and they get to this point in the presentation, and, and the guy looks at me and he goes, Greg, do you want to share a couple of words? Well, I, my plan was to talk for five minutes, but – 
that's not my forte. Yeah, I'm picking up for on that. Five yeah. minutes. Yeah. So I did about a 20 minute, and I, I, you know, every story that I told, they kept laughing at it. And that, so that's their fault. They laughed at my stuff, which just leads me to tell more stories and see if I can get them <laughs> laugh at that. So I did about 20 minutes of stand up comedy on that. And, uh, I'm like, that was so much fun. So the friend of mine in Seattle was like, dude, we need to take that show on the road. And then I started teaching seminars for him uh, for a number of years. And then that ended as I knew it would. And then I started doing my own stuff. And now, I, now I'm like, guys, you've got to understand something. I don't really care if you're a tour or a non-tour. I don't, I don't care what you do, but you've got to document this stuff. And it, it's such a horrible subject, but it is so mind-blowing important, not just for our practices, but for the future of our profession. I mean, Bobby, this is the way that we communicate. And, and I, you know, this evolved into a thing where I review records for insurance companies and lawyers and state boards and I'll practice things and all kinds of shit. And well, if you could break see, it down like this, what, what should people be re- documenting? Uh, not the shit that they are right now. That's for sure. Right. We've got to document. First of all, what happened? What give, give me a history for each condition, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of these doctors are, you know, the, the basic history, unless you went to Western States or graduated more than 31 years ago, is basically the OPQRST history. But you've got to do that for each condition, not just a chief complaint. So yeah. if you're treating the patient for headaches, neck pain, lower back pain, you've got to get all this information for each of those, not just the chief complaint. And then you've got to document some other things. And outcome assessments are critical now. It is no longer a suggestion. It is mandatory. You've got to do the outcome assessments. Which ones That's do you like? Um, I tell doctors that outcome questionnaires should be standard operating procedure for all chiropractors and all patients. However, you've got to find the questionnaires that are easiest and fastest because there are some questionnaires out there that are too complicated. They take too long, just a pain in the ass. So you've got to find, yeah, you've got to find the ones that are easy and quick. I love the board myth for the neck and back. They're even better than Oswestrian neck disability. Not that those are bad, but the board myth are three questions shorter. That's 30% shorter. They're faster. They're easier. They're awesome. I've got ones that I like for shoulder, elbow, knee, all the extremities, headaches, dizziness, things like that, that I can use really, really quickly. On top of that, for not, so that should be all patients, all chiropractors, outcome questionnaires. What about range of motion? Well, range of motion measurements are a really good outcome assessment for some chiropractors and for some patients. Not for all chiropractors, not for all patients, but for some. Uh, If you've got a patient, even if they're Medicare, and I've had these patients that say, you know, I don't have a lot of pain really, but I can't move my neck very well. Bam, measure it. Yeah, yep. Measure it, right? But other people don't have that issue, so I wouldn't worry about it. Or traumatically injured people, right? PI cases, workers' comp injuries, things where there's some kind of trauma. Bam, measure it. All right, that's a good one. And then there's a third one that that some chiropractors will do on some patients. I, I do it primarily on PI, but I really would love to do it on more people. And that's and that's more of an advanced kind of a thing where nobody knows what I'm talking about with this, but it's really kind of a cool thing, more progressive. I have to explain it. It takes a little longer than in this little podcast to do that, but that's really cool and I like to do also. I'll leave that alone for now. Yeah, of course. What, uh, you teens, what, um, what should people not be writing down? Uh, um, will not be documenting. How you found the fucking subluxations. Yeah. Now, you do have to document what segments they are. 
and look, if you don't want to use the word subluxation, that's fine. You could use oh, the word. We don't. That's re yeah. Yeah, restricted, fixated, aberrant motion, whatever. I actually use the word subluxation, but I always use the I always use the word hypomobile in front of it, just in case somebody doesn't know what I'm talking about. And the reason for that is the you know chiropractors are the only profession in healthcare that recognizes the chiropractic definition of a subluxation. Yeah, it would be somewhat contradictory for you to say in the beginning of the podcast that you wanted to speak the language that the rest of the world understood. Right. Use the word subluxation in a chiropractic term. Right. So when I, when I, you know, when I'm documenting this stuff, if anybody, even when I testify, like if you're going to document that you manipulated a subluxation and anyone who's not a chiropractor sees that, they think you're nuts. Why would you right. manipulate a hypermobile uh, segment like that? So that's the only thing with that. So, it, but, but then some chiropractors love to go into a whole paragraph about how they found that restriction. And I'm like, nobody cares. We just don't care about that. Save your time. Save your, save your breath. Just tell us what segments they are. Uh, the next thing, uh, don't be documenting. If you want to die, it's good to document muscle spasms and trigger points, but do not document in your daily notes the paraspinal muscles. Just stop it. It's because we're being lazy. I used to do this years ago. We're being lazy. You need to instead break those muscles up into specific muscles, right levator scap, uh, left supraspinatus, bilateral infraspinatus, right teres minor, things like that. Be specific for it. You don't have to go into plus three, plus four. Nobody cares. But you do need to be specific. And when those muscle spasms, when those trigger points, when those restrictions, fixations, whatever you want to call them, as they change, as they improve, and as they, as they resolve, document that. You know, maybe, maybe the left trapezius is okay right now, so remove it. Right? So now we can see that there's less muscles ah, and spasms. There's less... There's less segments that are restricted. Okay, so things are changing. Cause you that would actually show up and look actually visually stimulated to someone who was reviewing records as well if they saw exactly. the first couple of visits, there were like 20 different muscles written down. I'm just using numbers. Yep. And then as treatment goes on, now we're getting down to one or two regions, one or two muscles of specificity. I mean, right. as, I, as I review these records, like the PI or workers' comp case, I see the same muscle spasms, same spinal restrictions, every visit for six months. Right. And I want, I want to tell these doctors, man, you really suck at this. You suck at treatment because <laughs> you, you haven't even affected this at all. I mean, well, this is what treating and it hasn't improved at all. You're allowed to suck because there isn't that much pain involved with the process. It's not that painful to suck at documentation because it doesn't really hurt that much. Uh, until it, comes <laughs> until to it does, you know. Until it does. And, that's, and it hurts a lot. I mean, um, I do know some chiropractors with the new electronic systems that they have um, and that's in the lack of time that they have to do notes. They're just going and, and, and you know, it, like in the old days, you just circled the same things over and over again or wrote the same things on a travel card over and over again. But now they're just copying and pasting. Yeah, that helps. From, <laughs> you know, copy the previous note onto the new note and then sign it and copy and paste and copy and paste, and maybe change a couple words. Yeah. Now, the reality is not everything changes from visit to visit with our patients. Of course. So the things that don't change, that are not variable, uh, don't worry about it. Just You can keep saying the same thing for a while. But 
the variables that do change, you want to make sure you document those changes. And then the biggest changes will be documented when you do a new outcome assessment. And maybe now you've got new outcome scores and you've got new sets of goals and you've got a new plan going ahead. That's when the biggest changes will occur. But in between then, there are certain variables that are very easily asked and very easily documented and it really makes your documentation look a whole lot better and it functions a whole lot better. So are you, would you say that the assessments, the, re, the initials and the reassessments are the most crucial to knock it out of the park and then the daily follow-ups are, you're, you're sort of noting variables as you go? Yes, absolutely. What would you say about timeliness of chart notes? I, I got to say, I got to admit, I'm, I have time, I struggle with timeliness of chart notes at times. So that, that's a good point because we've got to make this work in the practical realm. So for example, people ask me, what do I do like in a new patient? Am I putting everything in the computer right then? Oh, hell no. I designed my paperwork to match the flow of the computer program the software that I use. So it, it matches identically. So I can have the patient ahead of time fill out all this stuff where it asks the questions. So that way my history, my consultation is only five minutes instead of an hour or 45 minutes because I've already asked them the questions right. on paper. They answered it. Now I, I may ask a couple of other questions and add that in there, but I'll do that. Now I'll, I'll enter that information to my EMR later in the day. Not right then. I want to be kind of eye to eye and knee to knee with a new patient. So I'll put that in later. Or if you've got staff that can do it for you, let them do it in there for you. But for the day to day after that initial assessment, holy crap, I just go in and I, I can recreate that first visit. But I tell my software, I don't want everything recreated. I don't need everything recreated. I just want these things recreated. Right. These are the variables that I want recreated. And then I go in and I change the variables based on what's going on today. And I should be able to do that in a matter of seconds seconds not minutes seconds right and then when I do a new outcome assessment uh, after a period of time and there's specific periods of time that I'm looking at uh, then it maybe it takes me a minute or less to do that uh, and that's and that's all you want to be able to document if you're using like a computer system you really want to be able to do it within 24 hours when at all possible but I would say no longer than 48 hours now does that come up periodically yeah, rarely, but it does come up now and then. For example, some of the software out there has a feature that, that, that as soon as you put in the documentation, it locks it. So if you need to go back in and make changes to it, you've got to, it won't let you do it, or you've got to what's called annotate it. So yeah. you've got to actually document, I'm making this change on this date, and this is the reason why, things like that. Um, other programs don't necessarily do that. You can just make the changes. Does that come up? Occasionally, not often, but especially if, if that comes up, you really made somebody mad. It's usually a federal, right. a federal issue, like a Medicare kind of thing, and they really suspect you of fraud. Someone's and really that's digging, when, yeah. yeah. That's when they send the people into your office and they actually take your computers out, bring it to an <laughs> IT, a forensic IT specialist, right? And they could go into your hard drive and see when things were changed. And uh, if it gets that heavy, you're screwed. You're, I mean, yeah. you're looking at that. So that, that's very, very rare. You, you that's probably happen, got some other problems as well. Yeah, <laughs> there's some other stuff going on there. But you want to do it. But the reason why you and most other people don't do it very timely is because it takes too long. So we've got to find ways so it doesn't take too long. We could do this very, very quickly. Yeah, mine is I do. I, I'm Western States grad, so I'm trying to tell a story. 
the yeah. write an essay, you know? Yeah. And then, and then my, my peers, uh, my local peers review my chart notes and they, I've had friends say, those are really nice chart notes. Can you teach me how to do that? You know, I don't think you want to learn the way I'm doing yeah. it. Cause I don't think I'm doing it right. I think I'm, I'm writing a novel here. And there may be a lot of stuff in there that just isn't even necessary and you're wasting yeah. time on it. And, and that's why I'm excited to see you, uh, not just at Forward KC, but to also take your class because it's not really what I'm not putting in there. It's what I need to take out that I'm really interested in learning. Right. I don't want you wasting time. I want you doing – I was thinking about this today. There are things that you must document, and then there are things that you should document, and then there are things that you could document. And then there are things that you should not document. Right. So you, you need to understand what I need to do, what should I do, what maybe it's not required, but boy, that really helps. Maybe there's things that I could document, but eh, do I need to? And other things like, nah, not even, not even necessary. What's, uh, what's some of the worst stuff you've ever seen? Oh, gosh. It's, the, it's so consistent. And now – most of the records that I review, like for PI workers comp, are computerized. Probably 90% or more computerized. Right. And I like to tell the story that I was doing a seminar in Tennessee. And there's a different parts of the country where there was different sayings. And uh, so there's a moment in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Here's what they say in Tennessee. You can put lipstick on a pig. <laughs> right, right. Still, still a pig. So I'm seeing the same crap that doctors would document on paper that was illegible before. And when it was illegible, you know, we didn't, I don't know what you're saying, but it looked really bad. So I'm sure it was probably bad. I just kind of suspected it was really bad. But now that it's computerized, it's nice and legible and it's the same crap. I could prove that it's bad. Right. And that's, that's a problem. So doctors are, I mean, I, I remember, you know, here's how I used to document many years ago before we needed to do this. Nobody knew. So we, here was a typical soap note back in the day before documentation was an issue. All right. Subjective complaints. Uh, okay, neck pain, upper back pain. Any questions? All right. Uh, objective findings. Well, they've got subluxations in the cervical, thoracic, and lumbar spine. Okay, and, they, <laughs> and they've got muscle spasms in the cervical, thoracic, and lumbar paraspinal muscles. Okay, good. Uh, then what else do we have? Uh, assessment. Uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing they're doing better. That assessment part's tough okay. for a lot of people. Yeah, they're doing better. Uh, plan. Yeah plan i did uh adjustments to these to cervical thoracic and lumbar spine i did a lot of unnecessary modalities but i know that i can get reimbursed for that this is back in the day of course uh my treatment plan i'm going to treat see this patient three times a week until somebody stops me i guess and there, there you go and that was a typical that was a typical treatment or soap dough that we would do for many, many years. And to be honest, it really hasn't changed all that much. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what's sad about this is 90% uh, of the people listening right now are doing something. <laughs> something of that level. Yeah. And, we, and I'm telling you. There's we, plenty of room for improvement. We can do much, much better. And we, we have to because honestly, this is how we can change the perception of chiropractic. This is how we can change the world. We've got to educate the world, the rest of the healthcare universe and the rest of the world, who we are and what we do. And the only way that I know to do that is through our documentation. So I don't want us to think of documenting only for Oh, because of insurance company. That's crap. I'm in Arizona. There's insurance is terrible here. We hardly have any right. reimbursement. I don't want. Oh, I got a document for PI. No, that's not it. 
I want you to document so that if you, when you document well, you send the patient's primary care provider the, your notes in the right format on the stuff that's meaningful to everyone else in the healthcare universe so they can see what, what you're all about. And then you send them a follow-up a few weeks later showing, hey, I, uh, here's what we found at the beginning. I just want to give you a follow-up. This is what we got going on there now. That is how we start changing perceptions. That is how we start getting referrals from these other types of, of providers. And that is how we change the world. You know, I'm about to uh, also the interview coming up right after you is Dr. Jeff Langmaid, who has uh, made a pretty good name for himself teaching people how to get referrals from medical doctors. And he says the same exact thing. Yeah. In fact, I tell, I tell, I tell doctors all the time, if, if you're going to document really, really well, the way I tell you to, then I'm telling you, start sending your the stuff out in the right format to your, I'll get the name and address of all your patients, primary care doctors. However, if you document like shit, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not just don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> just, just keep your mouth shut and move on with your life because I'm telling you it'll backfire. It'll be, you look like a complete moron and we don't need that any more than we already have now. But if you doc, but you but again, we've got to find ways to document exceptionally well and exceptionally fast and exceptionally easily. Otherwise, we're just not going to do it. I'm the same way. I still see patients. I've got to be able to do this quickly. Otherwise, I'm just not going to do it. What, what are we going to do? What's future chiropractic? Where do we go? You know what? I, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Now, what's interesting is, you know, I see, again, I'm torn because I'm, I'm half torn and I'm half progressive. So I understand both perspectives. I see a lot of... Oh, I would have like a caveat here. I don't want to interrupt you, but I don't have any objection to straight chiropractors. I don't even have an objection to like, if someone wants to call themselves a vitalist, that's great. But you got to be what you say you are, you know? Sure. In in ethics and being patient-centered, I put that above anything else that you say you are or that you do. If you want to be a vitalist, but you can be ethical about it, that's cool. I I mean, I I think they call those people Reiki. you know what i mean so here's an so here's the thing that that come up so a lot of newer younger chiropractors are doing lots and lots of rehab which or and lots of soft tissue work which i think is great now i i didn't never really learn that i mean i learned some rehab but we did not learn soft tissue stuff when i was in chiropractic college oh those many it's almost mandatory now almost yeah uh so for me and especially in my state of arizona uh, for me to do these other things, we get reimbursed so poorly, unless it's personal injury, but for other, we get reimbursed so poorly. I, I, I think from a business perspective, it's not even worth my time to do that. Right. Uh, I know. So I, I, I bring it back down to that adjustment and I'm like, okay, so I'll start off with the patient. I may do an adjustment only. But see, I'm really good at tracking outcomes. I will know very clearly, very quickly, that adjustment only is getting us to where we need to go. If it is, then I may stay with that. If it's not, and then maybe I may, I may add some things, like, like I may add some low-level laser therapy. Maybe I'll add some rehab, some exercise, things like that. Uh, so there's that going on. The other thing is uh, there's this there's, – how, how do I put this? This just came up. And a thread on Facebook, I think yesterday, and I and, and I know the person who did. I don't want to comment yet until I figured out how, what I wanted to say about it. So there's two things, and this has come up before. Where where okay, so one doctor about a year ago, maybe or less than a year ago, 
said in a Facebook group, I'm so frustrated because all of my patients, it seems, stop care once the pain is gone. Right. And it's killing me. It's killing my practice. And, and I saw all the responses to this. Oh, oh, that's terrible. I get the same thing. And I'm like, and I'm waiting. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting for the right time. And then, <laughs> and then I pounced. And I said, okay, all right, here's the thing. I want you to think about your initial visit with that patient. Think about the history that you're doing. Think about your exam. What is that whole thing? Now, the usual history, you know, OP Kiristi, or a little different for you Western States people, uh, is based on what? Their pain. And then the exam that all of us learn to do, and we all do, is based on what? Ortho, neuro, based on pain, symptoms. Yep. Uh-huh. If, that's, if that's all you're doing, then it is very natural, a very natural response for that patient to say, hey, my pain is gone, you've done your job, and I'm out. Yeah, that's the leadership you provided, yeah. That, that is exactly what we did. If you want to do different than that, uh, you know, now the other thing, so that the recent post that came up yesterday was um, somebody came in or, or several people come in lately and they say, hey, how do I prevent this back pain in the future? You know, and, and the doctor posted this said, you know, I could have, I could have made recommendations for long-term care, made a lot of money off the, they, they were willing to spend it. But instead I said, you know what, do these exercises at home and, uh, you know, see me once or twice a year. And I thought to myself, are you fucking kidding me? That's that. Who taught you that? That's, Where'd you get it from? Yeah. Where, where did you get, get that? I, I said, I said, can, in fact, can you show me evidence? Let's go evidence-based for a moment. Is there evidence that one to two times a year of spinal manipulation or whatever is effective at preventing anything? I, I, I don't know about that. I, I doubt. However, I do remember seeing uh, a study that, that was pretty recent that said, 20 visits, 20 visits in a, in a year actually does appear to prevent or maintain. And I thought that was, so I said, why wouldn't you share that with a person? The, the next problem I had was, I was well, are, are you, would you bring the patient back? Are you measuring, are you de- doing any metrics in your exam? Are you measuring uh, their, I don't know, I mean, come up with something, their squat angle, some of your, the rehab guys, are you measuring uh, their squat angle from, you know, from knee or hip to floor, are you measuring uh, in a seated position how far their hamstring tightness, can, can they touch their toes or how far can they get? Are these things involved with possible future lower back pain? Things that I might measure, I, I like to measure on some people, the flexion relaxation response. It's a, it's a reflex like that. And if that's jacked up, I, I'll, I'll tell you, Bobby, they're going to have lower back issues with that. They're going to have neck issues with that if that's jacked up. So are you taking metrics? Are you measuring certain things? Why don't we, even if you're not measuring function for your, or, or maybe you don't want to do the 20 visits a year maintenance kind of a thing, are you maybe have them come back in a couple of months and say, let's measure you and see if anything's changed. Hey, look, these measurements look good. Uh, all right, you don't need anything. You're you're okay. Or you know what? These measurements are not looking good. Let's do some do some different exercises. Let's do some adjustments. A couple of adjustments here and there. Things like that. That's patient centered still. But I, I, I'm telling you, if you're going to do a practice where it's based on symptoms only and a, and, and you get one or two visits and they're out and all that, uh, that's fine. But for that model of practice, you better be really really good at getting new patients in your door because you're going to need a ton of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a huge maintenance care guy myself, per se, um, but it it does sort of end up that way, I guess. Maybe by the language I use and how I discuss uh, function and and educate the patients. I think they 
they sort of end up choosing that on their own, the ones that yeah. self-select? I mean, imagine this, uh, Bobby. Imagine, imagine if, I mean, I have patients that they like to come in once a month. Now, yeah. I don't know that once a month is going to really, but they like, they feel better. They like to come in once a month, right? Yeah. Let's, let's say I charge, it's cash. They, let's say I charge 50 bucks for an uh-huh. adjustment, all right? If I had a thousand of those patients, Bobby, that came in once a month, how much is that worth to me? $50,000 yep. a month. You know, and there's no, there's no shortage of ways to assess a, a person, you know, based on what they need or what they want. I mean, yeah. the, you know, it's, it's not all orthopedic tests. I mean, a lot of people listening to this already know this, but the problem with, that I have with the young chiropractor these days that, that I seem to be noticing as I do these podcasts and talk with more and more people is that the young chiropractor these days, and it was, it's probably like this for all young chiropractors, um, they're so hyper-focused on the patient care moment and the thing to do to manage the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what soft tissue technique do you use when you're dealing with blah, blah, blah? Right. Or what sort of rehab approach would you use when you're dealing with the uh, femoral acetabular impingement syndrome? And what do you do when the patient has the – what do you find on these x-rays? Yeah. Uh, who gives a flying shit about that stuff? I mean, once you get further along in practice, you know how to manage those things. You got to throw that thought process in the dumpster and you got to start coming up with some systems. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and if you don't have a system for managing and not managing as in like uh, managing them to convince them that they need more care, but if you don't have a system for leadership with your patients um, to, 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 to guide them, through health and through care, uh, you're kind of screwed. My, um, one of my mentors, mentor to many people, but uh, we were little pen pals for a little while, was, uh, is Stuart McGill. And Stu started, we started sharing emails after he did a little debate with uh, Gray Cook at Stanford University because I wrote a review of their, uh, their little debate and it was very favorable for <laughs> Stuart McGill. So he's like, hey, I want to I talk to that guy. Right. And one thing that Stu told me that stuck with me forever since then, which was only a couple of years ago, was, uh, Bobby, it's not what you do for the patient in the office or at that time or at that moment to make them feel better. It's the things that you've done that make a difference and stick with them and especially don't damage them a decade down the road. <laughs> right. And yeah. if you have a patient that's sitting there right in front of you and you've you know, you've relieved them of their pain and they're feeling better and they're ready to go to work. You did job one, but job two was, did you use language that's damaging at that time to get that job done that they'll carry on as a nocebo effect into the future? Or did you miss that moment where you could have educated them or led them in a way that could help manage these things down the road? And we got into this with Josh Shatterly in the last podcast was that, you know, there's so many people that are into rehab and exercise, but they don't actually do rehab and exercise in their office. You know, like you feel like that's so important for people, but you don't do it. Right. You know? Yeah. You feel you know, like spinal health is important, but you don't preach any spinal health. You just get people out of pain. You, you know, know what, what's interesting too, is this has come up for quite a while now is the, the long-term care plans. Uh, that that chiropractors do not all chiropractors do it, but and I have some experience with this because I learned how to do it years ago, and I was actually quite good at it. And I, in fact, I would do these. I would set somebody. You know, I knew how to talk to the patient. Uh, I was very good at sales with the patient, and 
I learned how to say, okay, so uh, I want to see you, you know, this many visits over this period of time. You know, it could be like 72 visits over a year kind of a thing. And then I would throw in the re-exams and all this kind of stuff. And then we would break it down and become a, you know, oh, and this is, this is the total cost is $8,200. Your insurance will pay $1,500. That gives you a balance of 60, whatever, hundred dollars. But if you pay now right, or, yeah. or we auto auto debit your, your credit card every month, it comes down to uh, $225 a month. You went, and I was really good at getting people to do that. And I thought that was okay because back then we, and in the profession, we kept trying to think, we kept trying to think of, gosh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we as chiropractors could, could charge patients almost like an orthodontist instead right. of for pain, like, okay, look, we're an, I'm an orthodontist. We're going to give you braces. I'm not treating you every visit. You have the braces on, the vi- braces that you have on are me treating you at home, but I'm going to charge you $4,000 for that. That's what we're trying to get to, but you know, it doesn't really work the same with that. So uh, I was good at that, and then, I, then I, that was for a year plan. Then I wanted – if I was that good at a year plan, I thought, I wonder how I would do it two years. So I started selling, <laughs> selling two-year care plans. I'm, I'm serious. And you know what I found? I was even better at two years than it was at one year. <laughs> but after four months, I felt, I felt like a, just a dirt ball. Um, and I stopped doing it I, because I didn't – I'm like, why am I doing this? Here's why this came up. This, I, I could pinpoint, I think, the consulting group, the management company who started this, these long-term care plans back in the day. I, I think I know exactly who it was. They started doing it because forever and ever and ever, chiropractors have always sucked at getting new patients. Yeah. As a profession, we've sucked at it. So these consultants thought, you know what? If we suck as a profession getting new patients, we don't know where they're coming from every month. It was just a crapshoot. You got to close suck, the back door. If we got to close the back door and keep the ones that we have. And that's where it started. And I remember Greg Stanley of Whitehall was telling me, he goes, yeah, this is killing the profession. This is back in the 90s. He goes, it's killing us because those patients don't refer. Because once they've realized what they've done, they're so embarrassed about it, they won't tell other people about you. It's and buyer's now, remorse, yep. Yeah, and that's what's happening. So, I'm like, so I, you know, we, we joke about in these Facebook groups about, we, you know, somebody comes up and they see a, a care plan of 56 visits. This is terrible. This is the board complaint. And, and my point is, okay, that is bad. I agree. The reality is it might actually take that many visits. It might actually be appropriate. The inappropriate part is you don't know that up front. Look, if you come to me and you say, I've got this patient, we did this exam, the history, here are the complicating factors, here are the imaging findings, here are the outcome assessments, here's our measurable baseline, and I'm going to reassess those same metrics periodically, right, every X number of weeks, let's say. And these metrics show measurable improvement. So they're justified to continue treating. Let's say they keep doing that and it gets them to 56 visits. I will back them up all day long because yep. now that's patient-centered with that. But when you go off and say, oh, you've got a, an uncomplicated neck issue uh, on a 22-year-old guy and I, I want to see you 60 visits or, or your kid's got autism and you see the 62 <laughs> visits, right? Okay, that, that's a problem. However, on the same token, I may have people that say, you know, I have, you know, I've got all these issues. I this one guy, I've got all this stuff going on. This one guy, he had lost 75 pounds, but he was still obese. And he had headaches, neck pain, back pain, ankle pain, knee pain, hip pain. Oh my, holy crap. He had, he, he had diabetes, type two diabetes. He had high cholesterol, all, all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, okay. 
that could take a while. I've got another patient who's got, she's 30 years old and has scoliosis. And she's been to chiropractors and she would feel better temporarily and then it come back and she just couldn't keep afford doing it. So I said, okay, look, I'm not going to change your curve. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change anything. However, I could probably give you some relief when I adjust you. But to be honest, you'll probably feel better if you get adjusted every week or so. Right? Yeah. But I'm not going to, I said, so, I mean, I'll make it affordable for you. But so she comes in once a week and she pays for that and she's fine with that. But that's, that's still patient centered. I'm not like, look, if you want to do like, Hey, I can only afford to come in uh, every two weeks now. All right, give it a try. If that doesn't work, I'll go back to once a week. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. That's a different thing, right? That's a different kind of a thing. The guy with the, all the other issues, I'm like, look, look, you're a long-term I said, I, I don't know what we're going to be able to accomplish on you, but we're going to use some metrics and we're going to see, but it may take a little while for, for all these things to normalize, plateau, or get you as good as we can get you. And again, that's more patient-centered with that. But if you're going to go in there, I guess my point was, if you're going to go in there basing everything on their pain, that's just idiotic. That's just a, that's just a moronic business model. You're it's doing it wrong. You're doing the patient wrong. Yeah. You're doing your business wrong. The whole thing is, in fact, the whole industry, all of documentation boils down to two things, whether it's cash, Medicare, PI, workers' comp, all of it, pain and function. That's it. And 90% or more of the profession is still only focused on pain, even though they say they're not. But you are. You're only focused on pain. And then there's, and then there's the, uh, oh, I'm going to correct your subluxations. Wait, you're going to what? Right. You're gonna, that always bugged me. You're going to correct us. All I do is detect and correct subluxations. Uh, okay, wait. If you corrected the subluxations, doesn't that mean that they don't come back? Doesn't that is that what a correction means? That's, oh, it's 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 so poorly thought out that that yeah, approach. That's not what's happening. Um, what you're but, trying to correct is the patient's function, which may be related to that whatever name you want to give it. Right, and that's where the metrics come in. So pain and function, and for the, those docs who like to do the rehab and stuff, this was right up your alley. I mean, like one of my one of my three kids is a college baseball player, and in the off season, he's been going to a a training facility for years since high school, and it's an expensive thing. I mean, <laughs> I pay a lot of money for this thing, and you know, professional baseball players, minor league, major league, college, high school kids go to this thing, and it's fascinating because when they start with these things. You know, they do an assessment on these on these athletes. What is their assessment? What is it? Metrics. They're measuring yep. stuff. They measure the squat angle. They measure their he's a pitcher. They measure they measure his arm angle. They measure his arm slot. They measure his excursion from from A deduction to A B deduction. They measure velocity. They measure all these different things. And then after they do, they design a treatment plan or or, or a, a workout plan for him. And then what do you think they do periodically throughout his training? They remeasure the metrics and they say, hey, look, these things are improving nicely. You're doing great. But these other things, you're really not getting anywhere. We need to change that up. As, as the parent who's paying the bill for this stuff, that has such importance and value to me. I can see the value of that, of that training. I, same thing as a chiropractor. If I'm the patient, I damn well better see you getting some metrics on me. And that's why I get, you know, I get excited when some of our researchers talk about measuring you know, they're looking at measuring stiffness 
that could right. be really, really impressive. That could be mind blowing. Uh, I want to. That's why I joked about a blood test. That would be great if we can measure that kind of stuff. Do I you look think? My, um, do you think that's why the subluxation station, even though the way it's used and how it's explained for its purpose, is completely uh, stupid? So, um, is the, a valuable thing because patients see it. Exactly. So let's talk about the the surface EMG part of that kind of a thing. And I've done this before. And, and, and to be honest, there actually is more research on surface EMG than we think there is. It's just not coming from the chiropractic side anymore. It's being done on the medical side, which is even more interesting. But the problem is, and I, and I joke about this, it's not a fucking nerve scan. Quit saying right. that. That's right. not what it's doing. But if you would take that, if you would take that and just and just look at it for what it is, it's another metric. What you're doing is you're quantifying palpation. That that's it. That's all it is. Now, is there clinical value in that? There, there well may be, uh, but it's not a nerve scan. Quit saying that. Thermography. There's way more variable variables in that one, so I'm like, I'm not such a fan of that one. If they can remove the variables, that might be be something. Uh, but even the a pressure algometer. Okay, that's a metric. It's I, I would still argue that it's still subjective because we're relying on the patient to tell you something. But it is quantifiable. Um, I'm not a fan of it because there's I think there's better functional things that we could be documenting and spending our time on rather than that. But for certain things. That is a, va- a valuable well, metric. The, 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 the device or the approach is the approach. I mean, you can, you can use the selective functional movement assessment improperly. Sure. You, know, you could put the wrong, you could use functional range conditioning um, assessments. You could use McKinsey method assessments for classification. You can use all those things wrong. You can make a bad explanation for why you're doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, there might be, there, there very well may be something to EMG, uh, surface EMG and thermography and heart rate variability and all these things, but the way that they use it in the subluxation station is wrong. Right. It's used as a sales technique. You, you put exactly some pretty right. pictures on a screen and tell the person they're all crooked. Yeah. Um, so here, here's the deal. You have, as we close out, one thing to say to save the chiropractic world. What do you have to say? <laughs> one thing to say to say. Well, you know, one 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 thread of thought. One gem. And one it can't just pearl. be one. You can't just say fuck. You gotta you gotta sort oh, of expand substance. You want a yeah. substantive pearl for me? Okay, so look, here's the thing. As chiropractors, first understand this chiropractic is awesome and and i'm telling you i'm afraid in the last few years maybe 10 or 15 years we we seem to be as a profession reducing our interest in the power of that adjustment right and i want to say just from my time in the profession doctors that is still, in my opinion, the most powerful thing that we have. If you're not comfortable doing it, and I know a lot of students, not a newer chiropractors, didn't feel they got trained in that. And I, and I know we laugh about some of the artistic <laughs> people. Uh, but if you could learn how to get better at that, that would be a huge, huge thing. And I would recommend to doctors, take some martial arts. You'll get better immediately at that. But first of all, so the adjustment is way more powerful than a lot of us are giving credit for. Second, we have got to communicate who we are and what we do 
not only way better than we are, but we've got to do it in the language of the accepted healthcare universe, not the kooky Cairo language, the language of the accepted healthcare universe. That means that if we, do, if we document that way, when medical doctors see our stuff, they say, oh, okay, that, that makes total sense. That makes, okay, they're getting better. And they can see that we're patient-centered. If we could do this and we could do it in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort and the least amount of cost, I'm telling you, we can change the world because I, I, I'm convinced that the world still needs us and we can all succeed and we can have our rightful place in the hierarchy of the healthcare universe. We just have to figure out a way to do it. And that's what I talk about. Boom. Boom. Drop the mic. And uh, on oh. the, as we go on the outs, your wine varietal of choice. Uh, anything that Brian Morrison recommends to me is, uh, <laughs> he is my, he is my sommelier. He's, <laughs> um, I, I actually choose wine based on the name typically. So if the name of the wine is bitch, for example, I will buy that wine. Uh, uh try my name, friend, try my friend's, uh, wine, sexual chocolate. I will buy that wine. Absolutely. There's Brandon a wine. Allen, if you ever happen to be listening, he's not listening, but Brandon Allen's wine, uh, sexual chocolate. You'll love it. I will buy that one. There's a wine, 19 criminals uh, from us. I will, <laughs> I will buy that wine. So <laughs> and um, free wine. I like free wine as well. So some doctors bring me free wine at my seminars. I'm, you've I'm got some of that coming to you for me when I see you in June in Kansas city. Perfect. Putting that out there for everybody, so yeah, that'd be honest. I can't <laughs> wait for that uh, that convention. By the way, that is going to be a just a, that's going to be a hoot. Oh, that's yep, really I can't wait to meet you in person, and I'll see you there. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks for the time. All right. No, thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye. Bye bye.